0: Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, Just like the podcast, it's absolutely free and we'd love to have you. Welcome everybody, welcome everybody. I just saw a special welcome given to Mark Strunen um, in the chat and I wanna just echo that. Mark Strunen who just went through major heart surgery successfully, Ooh. thank God, we're so happy to have him back in our, our Torah study. So uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a real blessing to have you here, Mark. Um, okay, we are, and I'm. you may notice a different background, I'm traveling, so I'm using a friend's room here. Um, we're in uh, now, uh, a, a, a pivot moment. We're at the end of the Book of Exodus. Okay, so the this incredible book, this, this sort of the mightiest of the of the books of the Torah, the grand the grand story of the Exodus, of the of the of the redemption, of the liberation, of the revelation. Just a magnificent, almost overwhelmingly awesome book. And then and then something happens in the middle of the Book of Exodus. And uh, what we've been grappling with mostly for the last few weeks has been uh, the strange way that this magnificent epic book suddenly gets mired in all kinds of details, 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 in the construction of the tabernacle. Um, So... That's what we've been trying to figure out, and in fact, um, Vera, I'll, I'll ask Vera, who uh, helps us run the, the show here, I'll ask you to just post this week's uh, Best Book Ever podcast, because we dealt with on the podcast, again, that question that we've dealt with, I think, a couple of times over the last few weeks in this class, which is just what, what do we do with all these details? How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we move from the grandeur of the exodus to the minutia of the construction of the tabernacle, with all of its sockets and rings. Okay, so we've been dealing with that, um, and um, and we'll deal with it again next year. But thankfully, though the book of Exodus moves from grandeur to minutia, it it does end. Thankfully, uh, uh, it ends magnificently as well. The end of the book of Exodus. One one just final scene as as we get a the last. Um, the last uh, slew of details. um, And it looks like the book is gonna end with details. Suddenly there's a pause and um, Moses has finished all the work of the tabernacle. And all of a sudden a cloud appears, a great beautiful cloud appears. And a cloud appears and then also significantly, something called Kvod Adonai appears, Kvod Adonai. And That's what we're going to be talking about today. I could translate it, but that already would be um, part of the problem. That's what we're going to try and figure out. But I will, I will give us a little bit of translation and say that it is famously, the word kavod uh, and especially the kavod of Adonai, the kavod of God is often translated as the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. Sometimes it's translated as the presence of the Lord. So the presence of the Lord or Peter, the glory, it actually becomes, a very, um, a very common, a very, um, a very prominent phrase throughout the rest of the Hebrew Bible. So it's, it's, it is worth it for us to really stop here and think about what exactly this thing is. Okay. So that's, that's our topic for today. The, the kavod of Adonai, the glory of God, the presence of God, whatever this, this thing is, we're going to, we're going to try and figure it out. So let's, let's say a blessing and then we'll, then we'll get into it. Blessing over over Torah study over the sacred space. Baruch Asher Torah. Okay, so here we go. I want to just take us to those last few verses in the in the Torah reading, and just just to see how how as I said, magnificent they are, but also how mysterious they are. It's not it's not so clear what's going on here at all. And it's certainly not clear what this thing, which this isn't the first time we've seen it, but it it it's it's a very prominent instance of this thing, the Kavod of Adonai. All right, so let's take a look. And I'm gonna there's a a source sheet for you, and then I'm gonna screen share. So here is um the here's the scene that ends the book of Exodus. And you and I just giving you um here's one last line of detail. Okay. Exodus chapter 40, verse 33 says. Um, And he set up the enclosure around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the screen for the gate of the enclosure. The screen we're still talking about screens and gates and details and okay we're still constructing. And then and then Moses had finished the work. Boom. That's it. And I guess the book of Exodus could have ended there. But thankfully, we get this this sort of beautiful and mysterious scene here. The last of the book of Exodus. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. And here's the phrase. And the kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Here it is in the Hebrew. uchvod Adonai, right there. This is the word that we're going to be spending our time looking at today. Kavod. And the Kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the Kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. So there it is again. So re- repeating that phrase, the Kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle, the Kavod of Hashem filled the tabernacle, and um, because the Kavod filled the tabernacle, Moses can't get in. That already is a little funny. What does it mean Moses can't get in? And that, that that's maybe the first clue that we have to help us think about what this Kavod might be. Okay, but there's also a cloud and that's part of this scene too. So when the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on their various journeys. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until such time as it did lift. For over the tabernacle, a cloud of Hashem, this word right here, you know, we can never translate well. You could say Hashem, which just means the name, we pronounce it Adonai, we don't pronounce it, you know. So I'm going to I'm going to I may I may say Adonai, it may say Hashem, but we're talking about God here that's our name for God. For over the tabernacle, a cloud of Adonai rested by day and fire would appear in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout their journeys. Okay, that's a good ending. Ah, Good. Thank you, Exodus. That's a good ending, right? We were were so mired in details, but suddenly we've got this cloud and the glory of God, and I'm already translating it, but it's the kavod of Adonai. What is that? And, And the cloud in some ways is the seems more like the main character here because we're learning that the cloud would descend and the cloud would move them they'd follow the cloud when the cloud didn't move they would so the cloud is part of our our discussion but but we know what a cloud is i mean we we do know what a cloud is what are what are these clouds okay like these are special clouds but we know what a cloud is. but what is kavod? okay some of you are probably already to start answering, thinking, well, I, I've heard the word kavod before. Um, and, and, and I've seen it in my prayers Baruch Shem kavod malchuto, blessed is the, the name of the kavod of God's kingship. Um, um, ka, um, um, uh, kavod kavod adonai, Um Um kavod shemo. There, there, kavod comes up, up again and again. Um, but okay i want I wanna think with you about what it is in this scene, but um before i I, I open it I open it up just for our um interpretation I, I want to because after all it is this Hebrew word that not all of us are familiar with so I want to give us a little bit of of um n- not context what's the word a little bit of um of 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 uh, linguistic uh, uh, context, a little bit of linguistic comparison, see where else this language of kavod is used. And actually, I want to start with maybe the most prominent uh, usage of kavod in the Torah so far, which is the verb usage, kabed, kabed, to be kaved, and 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 if i asked you where is that used as a verb kabed i see a hand go up because you probably already know i'm not going to i'm not going to i'm not going to call on someone because i i i, I this is like uh this is an answer that's just a one liner but the answer is in the 10 commandments maybe the most famous usage and so this is our first clue what is that word kavod what is the 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 kavod of adonai well maybe it's the honor of god because that's the way we usually translate um kabed etavihav etimecha, kabed, same language there. As as you probably know um, if you've been to this class, the, the the way that Hebrew words are related is through three-letter roots. So they don't have to have the exact same form, but just like kavod here, there's one extra vowel in it, but it's the kaf, bet and dalid, the same same language here. So kabed honor, usually we translate your father and your mother. Okay, so that's that's one famous usage. But let me just give you a couple of others, and then I'd like to hear what you think about the kavod of Adonai. Here's a couple of others. Um, there was a famine in the land, back in the book of Genesis, there was a fam- I think this is the first usage. There was a famine in the land and uh Abraham, Abraham before he was Abraham, Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, For the famine was, and so far I'm going to be trans giving you the most common translation. The famine was severe, kaved, in the land. Okay, so we have kaved meaning honor, we have kaved meaning severe, and then just one more here. And I think uh, I this is Genesis chapter twelve. I think the Torah plays with the language on purpose and just a chapter later again, speaking about Avram now when he's coming up from Egypt, the same language, but a different meaning here. Now Abraham was very wealthy Kaved in cattle and silver and gold. Okay. So you see the famine was Kaved and now Abraham is Kaved. And what is the relationship between those two? How can the famine be Kaved? and abraham also be kaved wealthy severe and wealthy and i'm going i'm going to give you the answer which is that these two usages i think are both related to a a primary meaning of kavod which is weight heaviness right heaviness we covid is 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 weight not covid but covid is weight okay so that's one that's one primary um um, definition that i'd like to have in our conversation though it won't suffice because it doesn't really make sense to say that the weight of god came into the tabernacle but maybe there's something there and even when we say honor your mother and father there too maybe we're saying treat them with weight with gravitas maybe we're talking about the gravitas of god okay so now now we have some language honor severity wealth heaviness And just one other thing before I open it up to the crowd, which is we have seen the word. These are verbal form, uh, uh, verb forms. So, um, so honor to honor, right? Um, Or adjective forms. Abraham was weighted, wealthy. But here is here's an earlier usage of kavod itself, and the kavod of God. A famous usage when Moses is on Mount Sinai talking to God and and, and there's this beautiful and famous scene back in Exodus chapter 33, where Moses asks to see God. But what does he ask to see? God's kavod. Here, take a look. Um, uh, Moses said, "Oh, let me behold your kavod. Harini not Let me behold your kavod." And significantly, God answers, "You know, I can pass my goodness before you, and I can p- proclaim before you the name of God." and my grace and my compassion, but you cannot see my face because no human being may see me and live. Okay, so maybe the kavod of God also, like we have this weighty association, but there's also some way in which asking to see God is asking to see God's kavod and God says, you can't see my, you would expect God to say, nobody can see my kavod, but instead God sees, says you can't see my face. So. Maybe the Kavod of God is in some, some way seeing the face of God. Okay. All right. Now I think we're ready to open the conversation up. And again, now that given the, the, the kinds of, of, um, of, of connotations and associations we've just seen. Now let's go back and look at this scene at the end of Exodus and think about what it means to say that the, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the Kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. And Moses couldn't come in because the cloud had settled upon it, and the kavod of Adonai had filled the tabernacle. What do you think the kavod of Adonai is? There, how would you how would you translate that? How would you speak about the thing which fills the tabernacle and Moses can't get in? Okay, so let's take a few a few first responses here. Okay, um, let's call forth our newly recovered Mark Strunin
1: to to connect the story of Moses requesting to see God's face, and God responds by permitting Moses to see his quote-unquote back. I think as it's been suggested, and I can't remember which scholar, but there was a medieval scholar who suggested that what one sees is not the actual presence in the moment of God, but you see an impression literally, when you drop a weight on, on, on a surface, an impression is left. And the kavod of God may be the impression that demonstrates that divinity was present, that God was there. And that's something that a human being can see. So connecting it to the, to the fourth commandment, honor, you know, kavod your father and mother, Ultimately, the message to the child is look at the impact that your mother and father had upon you and recognize, if you can, um, the, the value of that, the importance of that, and from that, that generates how you treat them.
0: Okay. Okay. I love what Mark's doing here, and I see Mark hasn't, hasn't lost a step because Uh, what Mark did is just very elegantly I said the Torah is playing with can God be present or not present is God there or not and Matt a very very um, very astutely um, framed kavod for us as the the most that we feel that God is actually there Uh, what Mark does is 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 remind us that weight is is the description of weightiness heaviness is something that is there and felt but not seen and that's important like Moses wants to see God's kavod but God is saying you can't see me you can feel me you can I can leave an impression the heaviness is like a way of saying God is there but you still don't see God but you know that God was there because God leaves an impression I love that language I love that language All right let's uh, let's let's take a few more Noah Pollock.
2: yeah I'm going to be plain. Around with the word Shekhanti, we got that praising a few translate weeks Translate
0: that, Noah, translate uh, that for
2: us. Okay, that you shall build a sanctuary or a Mikdash up amongst yourselves, and I will dwell amongst them. That we get this amongst you, it's like this presence, this whatever it is it's not just on Moses it's on all of us it's making it so that we're all in this experience like the Ten Commandments experience where we got everyone was there and felt that and now at the end we're still feeling that presence that heaviness that whatever it is from the divine Ah, okay,
0: this is good. So first of all, Noah says, there's something about the appearance of the kavod, and it's a big deal the, the kavod of God, the presence uh, there's something about that, that appearance that seems to be directed to the whole people. I mean, it's true, Moses asked specifically to see God's kavod. But in this case, and, and says Noah back at Mount Sinai, the appearance of the kavod of, 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 of Adonai was something that was meant to be to, to to be felt, to be even seen if such a thing could be by the whole of the people. Okay, with that in mind, with that in mind, I want now to, and then I'll turn back to, this is not gonna take us on, on this just to build on what we've been doing so far. Um, Noah makes the connection to Mount Sinai. And that's probably the most important connection to make for our, last scene of the book of exodus because we can find the kavod of adonai we can find it in all all kinds of places in fact one of the places that appears is at the at the story of the mana coming down god's kavod appears there and you know so we could track where does god god's kavod appear Um, i read one commentator that says anytime the people are threatening moses and aaron the kavod of adonai suddenly appears that's another manifestation, you know to defend moses so there are there, you know, we won't be able to map it all today, but one thing, one connection we have to make is the one that, that Noah is making, which is the connection back to Mount Sinai. So let's take a look at that. That's back in Exodus chapter 24. And it's an important connection, not just because Sinai is important, but because a lot of the language here is very similar to the language we just saw at um, the end of the book of Exodus. The end of the books of Exodus, where we have the cloud, and the cloud descends upon the tabernacle, and the and the kavod of Adonai fills the tabernacle. Okay, all of that imagery. Now look. Now let's look back at Mount Sinai and see some very similar imagery here. So this is Exodus chapter twenty-four. Look at this. When Moses had ascended the mountain, vayachashean an etahar, the cloud covered the mountain. The cloud. Same language. I'll scroll back up just to, I'm not going to keep doing this, but look, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Very similar language. Okay, so, that's, so that's, a, that's close to a direct reference. The cloud covered the mountain and the Kavod of Adonai dwelled upon Mount Sinai. And this is the language also that, um, that Noah was playing with. Vayishkon, the dwelling of the Kavod of Adonai was on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, God called to Moses from the midst of the cloud, so again we have a scene where the kavod is very prominent, and so is the cloud. There's some sort of interaction, or I don't know. There's some. Are, is the kavod the cloud? Are they separate? I don't know. Now the kavod of Anani appeared in the sight of the Israelites. Appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a consuming fire. Now that's quite some language. Appeared in the sight of the Israelites. We've been talking about we're not supposed to be able to see God. So what does that even mean? But appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. Quite a phrase, a consuming fire. There it is, a consuming fire in English. And here it is in Hebrew, and Moses went inside the cloud and ascended the mountain and Moses remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so that's a connection no, is right. We have to keep that connection in mind. And as you can see, it, it all feels very similar. There's there's clouds and the cloud covers, and then there's the the and there's there's cloud, and there's also cavode and 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 what's going on here? Okay, so 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 does this does this enhance at all, or do do we see any clues here? Now we've got a couple of scenes where this. This kavod is appearing. So let's keep going. I, I, we have a we have a, a line of interpreters, and I I think we can just keep going and asking the question: What is this kavod? What is happening here? And one more thought, and then we're gonna then we're gonna press forward a little bit from Marlene.
3: Uh, I think this is a tag on to what Payam was talking about, but I think this this language of weight and then the clouds seems to me to be a juxtaposition that may help us think about how we're actually going to engage with Hashem. Because if it were weighty all the time, where would we find the joy in prayer if we just had to worry about being weighted down with the presence of God? It seems to me that that's a really... uh, heavy in multiple in multiple ways of interpreting it, way to come to our engagement with God. And we have to have something more than just the weightiness of it. And the clouds allow a lightness to come in, even though it still fogs who God is, but it gives us a, a, a way of being light in our prayer and in our encounters.
0: Oh, I love that, Marlene. First, uh, first of all, I, it's so be- beautiful the way that you described it. And not just beautiful, but psychologically very insightful that if this is the weight of God, well, weight is heavy. <laughs> it is hard. Like, do we we can't actually handle the kavod of God all the time, and isn't that what God is saying? You can't really see or take or experience the full weight of what I am, right? I call this class the weight of eternity, right? If God is the eternal one, then it's like infinity, the weight of infin- everything that is coming down. Like, there's a little too much there. And then Marlene set, I, I feel grateful to you because Marlene sets up nicely uh, exactly what, like where we're gonna go next because Marlene starts to wonder about the juxtaposition then of the image of the kavod, the weight of God, and then the cloud, which is a very light image, a very fluffy image. And um, this sets us up, as I said, nicely for this next piece that I wanna look at together. And this piece is, is trying to deal with the particular almost technical something technical is being described in this last scene in Exodus and also in that scene on Mount Sinai there's something technical happening here where i mean the cloud comes down and covers and then the glory of god fills the tabernacle and uh, although that's not exactly the way it is on Mount Sinai let's just review for a second and then i'll and then i'll take us into this piece that deals with exactly the sort of imagery that, that Marlene is playing around with, the, the kavod and then the cloud. So just back for one moment to um, to just remind us, the cloud covers the Tent of Meaning and Moses can't enter. And all the commentaries are wondering, why can't he go in? What is happening there that Moses can't get in because the cloud had settled upon it and the kavod had filled the tabernacle. And then when the cloud lifted, they would go, okay, fine. Um, then again, in the in the in the scene at Mount Sinai, the cloud covered the mountain, and mo and um, the kavod appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a fire. So now we have fire and clouds, and Moses went inside the cloud. Okay, so cloud, fire, appearance, dwelling, all these there's some there's like actual movement here, and um, I I there a lot of the commentators try to deal with this, but I found a particularly elegant. Um, scheme um, uh, cashed out by one of my favorite commentators, the Kliakar. The Kliakar is a 17th century um, rabbi from Prague and one of my favorite commentators. And He tries to deal with, okay, what exactly is happening here and what is the function of the cloud in all this? So Take a look at what he says. This is just one attempt to make sense of the mechanics of the the dwelling of the kavod and the clouds. Take a look here. He says, it seems from this from the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the Kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. And by this, he means they seem to be two separate things, the cloud and the Kavod. So he says, it seems from this that the cloud of Hashem is not, sorry, the Kavod of Hashem, the Kavod of Hashem is not the cloud itself. It's not the cloud. Rather, he says, the fire and the light are the Kavod of Hashem. Now, that's a very specific answer. But we saw it on Mount Sinai. The kavod appeared as a consuming fire. So he says, the fire and the light are the kavod of Hashem, which appears from within the cloud. And and why is that, he says? And he has a pretty, pretty good answer. He says, because if not for the cloud, it would not be possible to look directly at it. For if a person cannot look straight into the light of the sun, well, then all the more so for the light of the radiance of the blessed divine presence. Beautiful phrase in Hebrew here. Zohar um, Therefore this holy light always appears in the midst of a cloud. Now that already is a lot to think about, but ju- uh, let's just see a little bit more how he works this all through our scenes. So once the tabernacle was constructed, one could separate from the other. That's the point that he's really making here is that the cloud and the kavod are together, and the cloud covers the kavod. But once you have a tabernacle, then the light of God would enter into the tabernacle because that's the place where God is supposed to be, and the cloud would remain outside. So the cloud covers the tabernacle; the light goes in, and now he's going to he's going to compare this to the the scene at Mount Sinai, which takes place here at the end of Parshat Mishpatim. That's chapter. That's back in chapter twenty four. We see that the kavod of Adonai dwelled upon Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, God called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. That is to say the cloud covered the Kavod of Hashem, so they could see the Kavod. That's why it's written here. Now the Kavod of Adonai appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a consuming fire on top of the mountain, because this is how they could see the Kavod. Okay. So uh, he goes on, but I think actually, uh, I think we can actually leave it there. But you see what he's basically doing. He's saying, what is the kavod? The kavod is the f- God manifesting as light and fire, illumination, You know, just pure, brilliant illumination. But we can't, we can't see that, we can't experience. It. I mean, here he's really playing in some ways with the language of, can I see your, can I see, we've been thinking about that too. And his answer is, no, you can't look, it's, it's blinding, but the cloud is there so that you can see it, the cloud, Obscures or or muffles the 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 light, and that's why sometimes we describe the people as yes seeing God's glory, even though you you can't. In the end, it does say the people saw it, and the reason they saw it is because they were able to see. This is back to Matt's feeling that part of this is 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 feeling like God is really there, and the way that we are able to experience God is really there is through the. Through the cloud. God's there in the midst of the cloud. God's glory manifests the God's light. It's a very specific answer in some ways. God's light manifests in the cloud, and we need the cloud in order to be able to be close to perceive God's light. Okay, so um, l- let me pause there. And th- that's a very, in some ways, specific answer. And yet, there's something about that language of God being the light and us needing the cloud in order to obscure the light, it's technical, but there's also something very conceptual about that. That like, we can't really access God's light, except through a veil, through a cloud, we need the cloud in order to be able to get and when the cloud departs from the light, then it's impossible to encounter the light. So I just, uh, I mean, that's all very abstract and heady. But I wonder if anyone has a response to that that idea of God as the light and the cloud as the thing that helps us to see the light. Uh, I see Noah coming in. What do you think, Noah?
2: Yeah, I I really think that hits the nail on the head. Uh, Just look, I'm looking outside my window right now. I'm seeing the sky with clouds, the sun is there and the light coming down through that. So really, I think if we even get a little sunlight on us it's that divine presence like allison is getting right now or anyone who's outside because we need that cloud to def- diffuse it a little bit just to see in front of us and not be blinded by the light
0: yeah and it's <laughs> it's funny uh no because you you go to look outside your window and all we're seeing are like you know, what, what are those uh, sheep or <laughs> like mountains in the back of your background, but right there, you're looking at, a, at the clouds outside, and as you're talking about the light coming through the clouds, I'm remembering that I don't know about you, but when I was young, I always you know when you see clouds and they're like beams of light coming out of the clouds those moments so you see the like the light, I always thought that's God. Like I don't know where I got, you know, somewhere I was taught that, like, you know, illustrations of God coming that. Whenever you see the a cloud with beams of light coming, God for some reason is actually deciding to just appear on Earth that day. I always felt that, like, oh my God, there's God, like, He's there. Now you know what I mean. And and so there's something about that. I mean, I guess I've been culturally taught that, but also maybe there's something intuitive about seeing light streaming out of clouds that feels like God has appeared. Like it's mysterious, but I see there behind the veil, God is beginning to appear. Right. Okay, great. All right. Um, okay, so all of that, we this is good. We've done great work at at at, at making some sense of the actual um, mechanics. Um, and 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 you know, the Kliakar really has tried to help us understand what's going on there on Mount Sinai. God, Moses can go into the cloud, but he can't go into the tabernacle when God, when the cloud is absent. What's the cloud doing? What's the light? But he's very specific in a way that's almost surprising. The kavod of Adonai seems like it, we we've already seen that it could mean so many things, and yet he's really tuned into the kavod of Adonai being the fire or the light. Now I want to so he zooms in. I want to now zoom us out and use, um, use uh, Maimonides as, uh, as a guide here. <laughs> Maimonides writes a book called The Guide to the Perplexed, and indeed he is a great guide and he's one of the best guides to thinking about the way language can be used in the Torah metaphorically, in all kinds of different symbolic associations. So Maimonides is a good person to turn to, to ask the question, wait, what is the kavod of Adonai? What does it mean? Because it can't just mean the light of, is that all it means? Just God's illumination? And Maimonides um, does a nice job of summarizing. And I don't think I actually am gonna have to read all three, but Maimonides gives us three primary ways that kavod is used in the Bible. And it is used, oh, by the way, let me just give, I wanna give you, before we take a look at this, I wanna give you some links to, so first of all, if you look this up, you will see now these are in Hebrew, so they may not be useful to everybody. But here's an example. Here's just like a concordance, and you can see here. I hope that works. Does that work? I think that works. You can see there that um, that all of the uses of of kavodara, of this phrase, the 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 kavod of Hashem, used throughout the Bible. And actually, the Torah itself is not the most um, frequent site it actually once we get to the books of the prophets and the books of the Psalms you see this, this language all the time. And then another thing I wanted to just give you is there's a wonderful wonderful website called Aspaklaria Aspaklaria, and this is part of what I use to prepare for the class, you can just type in like a, a phrase like this like Kavoda Kavoda donai, and it'll give you all of the like the, the most interesting commentaries on that phrase. So, these are both of them are in Hebrew. So, you know, that's a limitation, but, but I figured I'd share them anyway. Um, but okay, now let's get back to Maimonides in the Guide to the Perplexed. This is his great philosophical um, opus. And one of the things he spends a lot of time doing is explaining how the language of the Torah can't be taken literally. And so he gives us all, well, this is what it really means, all kinds of definitions. And for the Kavod of Adonai, um, he has a whole section where he explains the various meanings of the Kavod, and he gives three major meanings. Okay. So um, without reading them all the way through, I'm going to try to identify them. So this is Maimonides in the guide for the perplexed. And he says the Kavod of Hashem, the same is the case mean he's been explaining how lots of phrases can be understood in multiple ways. The phrase sometimes signifies the material light which God caused to rest on a certain place. So he's agreeing with the Kliakar, agreeing that sometimes it's about light. The kavod means the illumination, the light. So that is correct, kliyakar. that's one of the usages. But Maimonides says there are two other usages. So here's another one. The kavod, sometimes um, the essence The reality of God is meant by the expression, as in the words of Moses, show me your kavod. In other words, kavod then is not specifically the light, but is a way of saying, I want to know you as you truly are. Something about the kavod of God, the weight of God, is God's essence. So so that's one way that kavod is used, God's God's true reality, the, the closest we can get to really experiencing God. And then Maimonides says there's one other way that kavod is often used in the Hebrew Bible, which is sometimes the t- term of kavod denotes the glorification of God. Um, in Hebrew, it's the hagdala, which means the greatness, the the the, 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 ag- the, grand, the grandeur, the but not the grandeur itself, the way that people glorify and um, aggrandize God. And this is where we get the phrase, the glory of God. There's something about Kavod Adonai, and the way it's used sometimes to mean like, and this is honor, we glorify, we praise, we honor God. Okay, so those are Maimonides, like if you looked up in the commentaries, you would see most of them falling under one of these three, either Kavod is the light of God, or Kavod is the essence of God, or Kavod is the glory of God, the, the way that we praise God. Okay, so three very different but primary meanings of Kavod. So with that said, I want to just one last time, just pause and, and ask, okay, does this, you've now seen so many different, and, and we've heard from this crowd, so many different ways of formulating this concept of the, the Kavodava of, of God. Do they all like? Do they all make sense to you? Is, is this a concept? Is this a, that they all come together in some kind of conceptual unity that the kavod could be the light or the essence or the glory or the or the weightiness or the or the honor. Like, the, what is this whole this whole terminology? Let's let's just take one last pass of that. If anyone, uh, you know, now towards the end of our hour has a sense, ah, oh, I see this all can be expressed as kavod, as heaviness, as weight, as because. What what concept are we are we playing with here? Any any final thoughts there, Hal and Kathy.
3: You know, it it just seems to me that maybe the word we're looking for is ineffable. Uh, you know, that all of these characteristics are hard to, you know, make very specific, to put in a box, but they can all sort of coexist and, and uh, constantly, uh, <laughs> you know, challenge Challenge uh, some basic sense of understanding. So, you know, I think of the ineffability of God uh, as maybe
4: uh, uh,
0: yeah. That's actually really good, and I know that Kathy's going to hop on too. <laughs> but and then we're always happy to have the double-barreled uh, uh, team of Ka- Kathy and Hal. Um, but but let me just underscore what what Hal said, which is actually in some ways a, a very a very uh, like slick way of. of of encompassing our whole conversation, which is to say, yeah, it's hard to understand what the kavod of Adonai is, because that's the whole point, is that it is some way of speaking to a presence which we simply cannot understand. It is, yeah, yeah, the God appears to us. What does that mean? We don't know what that means. We'll never know what that means. We use words like glory, or weight, or honor. We use words like that as a stand-in for precisely that thing that We could spend an hour trying to understand it we could spend a year we could spend a lifetime trying to understand it but we never will what do you think kathy
4: oh well i was actually thinking along some of the same lines but thinking of it in terms of the uh you know well in a sense the kind of physicality of it uh and and that is that somehow i think this whole notion of uh you know the cloud and all this um but you know not being able you know moses not being able to 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 enter in because it was so uh, you know dense it's almost like i think part of the limitation is that we think of things being either solid or liquid or gas (laughs) you know and if it's gas then you know and oh yeah so a cloud's gas but you know then How is there not room for something to kind of shove in between or if it's solid, how, you know, but I think that it's really pointing to a different form of matter, Mm. you know, and that the problem is, is that, you know, the limitations in our own ideas of there being these forms of matter and that somehow, and so I guess. I guess that's ineffable. That's, but, that's fantastic. But
0: that's but. fantastic, Kathy. And, and, and Kathy is so right. It's, as soon as you say it, I'm, I'm struck by how, how insightful it is that, that all of our, our metaphors for God, uh, many of our metaphors for God, I should say, the substance ones, um, use substances that themselves are only half there, like light. Like light is clearly a physical phenomenon, and yet it's sort of intangible. And the same thing with with gas and vapor and cloud. It's, it's there, but it's not there. And so this language of a presence, a, to use um, Matt and and Mark's initial descriptions, this heaviness, this impression of something which is there, but but you can't. Fire, fire is another example. Like it's so real and it's even powerful, and yet you could push your your finger through it. What does that mean? You know. So that that's like a very it's helpful to see that when we grasp for metaphors for God, we grasp towards those other intangible um, kinds of substances. Okay, uh, beautiful. Uh, thank you for, once again, power couple um, for, that, for that, uh, that one-two punch. Um, one last comment from Rabbi Zaki.
3: Thank you. Well, the cloud metaphor is like so powerful for me because I remember a time where at night I was driving and the cloud was so thick, I had to park, stop my car mid mid in the middle of the street, get out and try to walk through the density of it to try to find where I was at. So the Holy One was guiding me, but I didn't know it till I actually got through where I saw street signs. So I knew where in Long Beach I was located, mm. but it was so powerful and very frightening at the same time, because I didn't know if a car would come and whack me off the street or not, but I trusted that just one little step in front of the other would lead me to safety.
1: I love that.
0: Thank you. For so that. I okay. wanted That's- to
3: sort of conclude with that image.
0: Rabbi Zaki entering into the cloud, just as Moses entered into the cloud, right? At Mount Sinai, and, then, and that's so beautiful because I never thought about it this way, Rabbi Zaki, but it's so true that when Moses goes into the cloud, that means Moses can't see where he is and has to just trust and be guided by God. And that's, that's part of our experience. We're looking for God's glory, but in order to do that, we have to go into the, into the mist into some sort of hazy experience that's not clear and just trust that somewhere in there will be guided. I love that, love that, love that. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to close now, but I want to I, um, I return just before we do to Allison's framing, that uh, this idea that the, the kavod is something we've been seeking and looking for since Mount Sinai, and maybe the tabernacle is the thing which allows us to access once again that kavod. And that is precisely what Nachman, not Maimonides, but Nachmanides, another medieval Um, Rabbi says very famously at the beginning of the construction of the tabernacle. Nachmanides has this language here. This is a very famous quote. Um, this, This is the secret of the tabernacle. There's a secret that the Kavod which dwelled upon Mount Sinai openly dwelled upon the tabernacle in a concealed manner. So in other words, Nahmanis agrees with Allison that the tabernacle, the primary point of the, of the purpose of the tabernacle is to try and, and create some space that will recreate Mount Sinai. Because on Sinai, for some, in some um, uh, inconceivable way, we actually beheld the Kavod of Adonai, the presence, the glory, the whatever the weight of God. And that's a, a nearly impossible thing to do. But if we can construct this tabernacle, then we can we can get back there a little bit. And so this helps to explain when we see this language, here's just one last usage of, of Kavod. In the Book of Leviticus, once we're in the priestly laws and rituals of, of making the sacrifices, M- Moses says, this is what Adonai has commanded that you may do so that the Kavod of Adonai may appear to you. And Then we get in all these again, details, 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 and the fat and the kidneys and the, all the ways that they have to go into all of these gory details to, to, to deliver the sacrifices. and But once they do, then the kavod of Adonai appeared to all the people. Fire came forth from before Adonai and consumed the burnt offering. So there you have it. Like there you have the, the, the offerings and the tabernacle as a formula, a way that the Torah is offering, the priestly system is offering to try to re-experience the presence of God that we, beh- that we felt, that we, that we experienced at Mount Sinai. And that sets us up, I think, perfectly for next week when we begin the book of Leviticus. So great learning with you all. Thank you for entering into the, the mysterious cloud with me. is a, as a worthwhile, uh, worthwhile operation. You will see this, this phrase come up many, many more times. Bye, all. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime, and come and, and join our, our circle of of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archived classes and source sheets and everything we discuss there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week.